1: Five six one six one six twenty. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. As we deal with the ongoing COVID-19, I think we have to be smart about it. And I think by that I mean we have to... Look at what we know since this all started in February and March, and look what we've learned. And and just because we did things one way based on certain assumptions doesn't mean that you have to continue to do things. You have to kind of modify. And and as we learn more about the disease, it's important to do that. For example, the knee-jerk reaction in early March was to shut down everything. let's, Let's shut down everything except essential businesses, but then we really don't know how to define essential businesses. So what we end up doing is saying you can have hundreds of people in the Walmart, but you can't have the little jewelry store that sells watches open that might only have a couple people in it. Well, I think we now know that or at least we should figure out that it was an overreaction to shut down that that small jewelry store or the the solo dog groomer because their interactions didn't spread COVID nineteen. All right, so th- this this idea of just massive shutdowns. Hopefully, we've learned that we overreacted back then. Now, it was well-intentioned because we didn't exactly know. At the same time, what we're seeing now is you're starting to see this resurgence of COVID-19 as we've opened up. Now, is that a justification for closing down everything? I'm going to argue no, it's not. But it is an argument for saying, okay, let's be smart. Let's be tailored with how we approach things. To that end, over the weekend, I attended a, a graduation party. And I was talking to someone whose company, uh, without going into too much detail, but they make these medical devices for like hospitals. And, and what you do is you put one of these in the emerge in the um, in the operating rooms, and they 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 remove the germs from from the air. It's a way of like sanitizing the operating rooms. And the business has just exploded because you know it. it it, it deals with uh, many things, including like the COVID virus, you know, for the the operating rooms. And now they're they're selling these things all over the world. And, and we were having a little bit of a conversation. And I, I was kind of I was asking him some questions about this. And he said, look, here, at least based on his experience, so you can take this for what it's worth. He said the big problem with the spread of COVID-19 occurs indoors. It's when people are indoors. In close contact with each other, and and the air does not recirculate. He said that that's the that's the real problem. He said, for example, um, when when he goes to the grocery store, he always takes a shopping cart that's outside because he says, you know, if, if it's been outside in the sunlight for more than a few seconds. First of all, you, COVID-19 is not typically spread by by contact with an infected surface. That's not typically how it's it spread. It tends to be more airborne. And also, you know, if the sunlight hits it, he said, if it's been outside for a few seconds. In all likelihood, that that's going to take care of the problem. That doesn't guarantee. It's not an absolute guarantee, but in, in general, that that's the case. And and I was kind of curious. And I said, I'm wondering why. Why are we having this explosion of of COVID cases in the South, like Florida and Texas and, and Arizona? And, and I understand that you're, you're seeing numbers going up everywhere, but it, but it's really going there. And I said, is it is it just People not practicing social distancing. Is that all it is? And he said, well, it, that's obviously a part of it, um, particularly with younger people who are going into these large group parties and aren't practicing social distancing. He says, but, but the other thing is keep in mind that, that COVID-19 is much more likely to spread inside. Then it is outside. That's why we're being told that all these protests over the last few weeks did not lead to a spike in COVID-19. Why? Because people were, were outside. Now, that's not to say that it, it can't, but, but that's not the more likely situation. Again, the more likely situation is you have large numbers of people who are inside. So he said, okay, now think about, for example, uh, think about New York or New Jersey in March. What's the weather like? He said, well, it, it's cold. He said, that's right. People are inside. He said, think about the weather right now in Florida or in Texas or in Arizona. What's the weather? I said, well, Phoenix is 120 degrees. He said, absolutely. Miami's 95 degrees with 95% humidity. Texas is 100 plus degrees. He said, people are inside. He said that's, you know, in, you know, in, in February and March, you know, you're, you're more likely to be outside in Florida or you're more likely to be outside in Texas or you're more likely to be outside in Arizona. Just like during the, the fall and the winter and the early spring around here, we're inside. Well, now you know people are are thrive running for the air conditioning. He said, even if people you know go outside and they 're on the beach or something, you know what they do is they get hot and then they 're running to the inside he said that 's a real factor. people being inside, which contributes to the spread and and look everybody 's got different theories, but that one. That one made a lot of sense to me, then especially when you look at and you couple that with, again, particularly young people, not social distancing and, you know, getting close to each other. And you couple that with lots of people are inside and they're together and they're going to the bars and all those types of things. So it's at least a theory. But but it is true. And I guess if if we're going to believe the experts that tell us that these protests did not lead to a dramatic increase in coronavirus, the real, only real explanation for that is because it was people were outside as opposed to people being inside. So it, it's something that I think, at least it's, it's food for thought, but it, it makes sense when you look at a lot of the documentation. All right, which brings me to where I wanna lead off today. The City of Milwaukee at 1.30, the Common Council is going to be debating a mask ordinance. Now, Shorewood implemented a mask ordinance last week. The Shorewood mask ordinance essentially requires people, when you are inside businesses in Shorewood, you are required to wear a mask. The uh, people in Shorewood, even the People's Republic of Shorewood, decided the outside requirement was unnecessary, too controversial, unenforceable, and and I I think perhaps maybe not even good science, and they dropped the outside mask requirement. So now the mask requirement in what is is inside. In Milwaukee, the ordinance that they are going to be considering would, this is what it would do, it would essentially require anybody... Um, who is inside any building open to the public in the city of Milwaukee would have to wear a mask. All right. In addition, the rule would require anybody who is outside, anyone three or older who is outside would be required to wear a mask whenever you're within six feet of someone who is not a family member six feet so let let's that's two yards so that's so if you're if you're walking down the street presumably and somebody passes you on the sidewalk you're going to have to put on a mask they're going to have to put on a mask if you are outside working you're going to have to, and, and you're working in in tandem with with pretty much anybody else, unless it's like somebody in your immediate family. You're out there, you're working on, a, you're doing landscaping, or you're laying bricks, or you're doing road work, or whatever. As long as you're next to somebody, or you have the possibility of being next to somebody, you're going to have to wear a mask. The list goes on and on. Our number 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. The reason one of the aldermen, Mark Borkowski, voted against this in committee last week. He said, "I'm just not with you on the outdoor mask requirement." In the comments that the city of Milwaukee got, it, it was it was split pretty much, you know, slightly more in favor of a mask requirement than against it. But while they didn't break it down, the vast majority of people who oppose the mask requirement oppose the requirement that you have to wear the mask Outside, So that's the aspect of this I want to talk about, because, look, they're, they're going to impose some sort of mask requirement in the city of Milwaukee with with all the other crime problems that you have out there. How you enforce it, I, I have no idea. But it's going to happen. That, that's just the reality. Tom Barrett is down with this. You've got I'm I'm sure a majority of the Common Council is down with this. The question becomes to me. You know what that mask requirement looks like and is it reasonable? Is it necessary? Is it enforceable? Is it realistic to imply impose a mask requirement when people are outside? Working outside, walking down the streets, any time that you might come within two yards of someone, which, candidly, I don't see how you can interact on a city street without potentially coming within two yards of somebody. don't want to talk about the inside requirement. I want to talk about the outside requirement. And if the city of Milwaukee imposes something like this, how is that going to affect you? Will you, if you have a choice... Will you go to the city of Milwaukee knowing that pretty much you park your car before you can get outside of your car, you're going to have to put on a mask. Not when you go into the business, not when you go inside the city building, but anytime you are pretty much in the city of Milwaukee, for all intents and purposes, you will be required to wear a mask inside, outside, doesn't matter if it's pouring rain, doesn't matter if it's 105 degrees, Outside, you're going to need to wear a mask. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. I guess my comment on this would be: if Shorewood recognizes that this is unreasonable and unnecessary, I don't know. Maybe Milwaukee should take a notice as well. And this isn't me being anti-mask. It's being show me the science that demonstrates that by imposing an outdoor mask requirement, you are going to significantly reduce the spread of coronavirus. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ Ooh. 855-616-1620. That's the academic mortgage talk and text line. See, I, I think if you, look, the city of Milwaukee has pretty much since this started, it has been a hotbed of COVID nineteen. It's been Milwaukee County is a leader, but the city of Milwaukee County, city of Milwaukee is the driving force. And for whatever reasons, that they really haven't gotten a great handle on, on coronavirus in the city of Milwaukee. Okay. So they're considering this mask ordinance today. I understand intellectually why, in an area that is a hotbed of COVID-19, you could justify an indoor mask requirement if you felt that it was important to go that route, if you felt that government needs to get involved. I I understand why, why you could justify it. For the life of me, the outdoor requirement, I think, is an overreach. I think it's unenforceable. I think it's not practical. I think it's unrealistic, and it needs to be reconsidered. If it's not reconsidered, I think there's going to be all sorts of unintended consequences. And it's not going to, at least in my opinion, it's not going to really serve to materially stop the spread of COVID-19 because people aren't getting it as a general rule through outside contact, walking down the streets, you know, working, you know, doing landscaping or, or whatever. That, that's not where this is being spread as a general rule. It's inside enclosed in areas. Let's start with Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tony. Jeff, I carry a mask with me all the time, and I'll wear it inside to the stores. I have no problem with that. Uh, I won't wear one outside. I think that's ridiculous. Um, And I'm not even worried about it either because they won't enforce it because they didn't enforce the social distancing when that was a rule. And to me, that's just crazy. Well, I, mean, I, I did I will tell you I wore a mask when I went to Pottawatomie for the three hours right and I hated it that whole time in there that's too long for having a mask on
1: yeah well <laughs> I, well no I think I mean thanks you I mean look I, I, I again I I you I you can argue whether it's government's role to require this or whether that should be up to the individual businesses. But at least if we're discussing this, and it's interesting, some of the sponsors have been saying, well, we need to look at the science. Well, okay, the science is that this this spreads indoors. Now, does that mean you can't Get it in an outdoor setting. Well, I, yeah, you can, but that's finding the unicorn. This is spread in an indoor thing. If somebody comes up to you on the street and sneezes in your face, yeah, I, I understand that. But as a general rule, it, that, that outside contact um especially the casual contact is not going to lead to it so if you want to get a handle on this all right maybe you start inside and and then see where this goes but again if you want to look at the science i'd be curious to see somebody in the common council stand up and say okay show me show me the justification for the incidental contact outdoors if you want to limit the number of gather the size of gatherings outdoors oh, oh and that the matter of fact they already do that oh, okay I, I i get that but if they want it to be science based show the science 855 and then tell me the practicalities of this jeff i'm a construction worker especially in this heat good luck getting anybody to you know wear a mask on a job site i will i'll take the fine um, Jeff, I will make sure to go to other communities if it's passed. Absolutely ridiculous to wear a mask outside. This will pass, though, regardless of what Shorewood did. Milwaukee is always doing crazy things. I won't be surprised one bit if this has happened. Jeff, this is ridiculous. Outside is safe. Get rid of Barrett's and, um, you know, the, the get rid of Barrett's and the, the people at the health department inside makes sense. But the six foot distance does not Jeff who's going to police um the fabric that the mask is made of um well that that's it um you know Jeff just Dr. Fauci just announced wearing masks will save tens of thousands of lives please look this up if it is new to you well all right did did Fauci say that that it was outdoors and incidental contact again this isn't me being anti-mask in the covid hot spots. I understand why, you know, you could make the argument that, OK, we, we want them indoors. But this is outdoors with the incidental contact and the uh, uh, again and the 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 reality of this. Jeff, enforced wearing wearing a mask. Really? They let people riot and did nothing. Um, I don't go to Milwaukee because of all the crime. Um, uh, let's see. Um, Jeff, I service financial institutions throughout South Wisconsin. I've worn a mask and gloves since March, both outside and in. It's an inconvenience, but I've not gotten sick, so I will continue doing so. And and that's fine. If that's the decision, look, I see people driving in their cars by themselves wearing masks. I, I, for the life of me, do not understand what you think that's going to accomplish. But if it makes you comfortable to be in your car by yourself wearing a mask, Go with God. I, I'm. It's fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. But all right, should that be mandated? And is there a reason to do it? Let's talk to Billy at Brookfield. Billy, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hello, Jeff. Hi, Billy. Uh, I just call, I just called. Uh, I, I was in Michigan for the last two weeks, and uh, while being there, I would say ninety five percent of the the businesses from Dollar Tree. To, uh, uh home depot and menards and all that uh you are required to have a mask inside yeah. now do i do i think that's the right idea i believe that it should have been mandated probably six months ago mm-hmm. to wear indoor masks right as far as as far as the out, outdoors there was a few restaurants that i went to that uh mandated that jeb had masks when you placed your order and obviously, when you're eating your meal, you take the mask down. But uh, yeah, I, I think it should have been mandated months and months ago.
1: Well, okay, and I and mean, and there's yeah. See, Billy, and, and again, I'm. I I at this point in time I'm I'm not arguing the the indoor mask requirement in as in an area like the city of Milwaukee that's been a hotbed of of this. Now, you can make the argument that in other areas where like surrounding counties for example or surrounding communities around Milwaukee where you you haven't had this massive spread of COVID-19 that that might not be necessary. But again, if if you want to have an indoor mask mandate in Milwaukee like you do in Shorewood, I I understand. It's it's the outdoor requirement. So, if you're on a golf course, and there are some golf courses in the city of Milwaukee, if you're in a golf on a golf course and you're playing with somebody other than a family member, you, you've got to you've got to wear the mask on the off chance that you're playing with somebody and you might come within two yards of them. I, I mean, look that that show me show me significant statistical information indicating that that's how somebody else got got coronavirus. No, it, it's indoors. It's Young people primarily piling in and having the, the house parties, etc and you've got somebody who's a spreader That's where these numbers are. If you want to go after it, go after the, the source This is Jeff Wagner
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ <laughs>
1: Jeff, we need responsible mask policies. Please don't overkill this. I think that message is directed to legislators. Masks inside, not outside, unless you can't maintain social distancing, meaning large, close crowds. Everyone needs fresh air and sunshine. Yeah, that's see if you're going to do this. And again, I, I don't think as a general rule, you need a statewide, for example, mask mandate. Because again, even with these increasing COVID numbers, what you see is there are areas that are hot spots. And for whatever reason, and that's a whole nother discussion, the city of Milwaukee has from the beginning been a hot spot for COVID-19. So, alright, maybe you can justify the government taking more extreme measures in the city of Milwaukee, because it's been, again, a problem, maybe you can justify um, it in, for example, Dane County, because Dane County spiked. Although, I mean, in Dane County, the mask requirement imposed by the health commissar says, says if you invite somebody over to your house, they have to wear a mask in your house. Well, I mean, first of all, number one, explain to me how that has any possibility of being enforced. The the answer is it it doesn't. Number two, if if I want to, if I am so concerned that the people that I'm inviting over might serve to spread this to me, well, I, the, the, the reality is I'm not going to have them over in in the first place. And, again, how, how do you in, enforce that? You have, I, I don't know, young people go out, they, they meet each other, they go back to somebody else's apartment for, you know, whatever, and, and the, the one has to wear a mask. It's just, it's absurd the way some of these politicians and some of the, these people are taking this, which isn't to say there might not be some underlying merit to this. Okay, which brings us now to the, this larger question. Governor Evers, in my opinion, would love to shut down the state again. He he just, I think he would love to shut down the state again. But right now, and I say right now, the state Supreme Court says he doesn't have the authority to do that. I say right now because the dynamic of that could change. At the end of the month, at the end of July, what happens is, now keep in mind, that Supreme Court decision, Was four to three, four justices voting that the governor didn't have the power to impose the, the, the never ending, let's shut down business requirement. Three justices, two liberals and one conservative saying that that they thought he did. Right. At the end of this month, one of those four justices, Justice Kelly, who lost his bid for election, he, he's off the Supreme Court and one of the, and his challenger, a very liberal, very liberal attorney, now soon to be a justice from Dane County. She she takes over. So theoretically, with a different composition of the court, if the governor were say to reimpose his statewide order, don't know if he's going to do it or not, um, it, it might be a different dynamic because presumably the three liberals would continue to vote as they had before, and the new or the two would, and the new justice would join them. Um, the question becomes what what happens with the conservative justice? But you know we we don't know. And, and my sense is the the governor is just itching, itching, itching to impose a, a statewide requirement. Uh, again, whether it's a statewide mask ordinance or whether it's let's shut down. Mawa- let's shut down the state like he did before. And you kind of hear that when you sort of read between the lines and listen to the, the governor who's just talking about how the state Supreme Court decision you know led to the spread of this and, and killed all these different people and things of the like. All right. We, we know what's happened since May when the, the statewide safer at home rules were, were struck down. All right. And we've seen what's going on. We've seen a spike in COVID-19 numbers. The hospitals, by the way, are not close to being overwhelmed. I mean, there's 264 COVID hospitalizations, 820 deaths. Um And and so that's that's been a relatively stable number. There hasn't been a huge spike in deaths. There hasn't been a huge spike in hospitalizations. The number of COVID-19 cases has increased, but it has been largely driven by increases among people under the age of 40, or in particular, under the age of 30. And while nobody wants to get it, as a general rule, You'd rather have a healthy 30-year-old get COVID-19 than you would have an 80-year-old with a compromised immune system. So I think one of the reasons you haven't seen the spike in deaths and the spike in hospitalizations is that the people who've been getting sick have, by and large, been people who are going to get it. They're going to be sick for a little bit, then they're going to recover, which isn't to say that anybody wants to get it. And I appreciate that there can be really bad results from somebody who's in their 20s or 30s who gets it, but that statistic. Not where the biggest worry is. All right. With that lead in, 855 616 1620, that is the ACUNET Mortgage talk and text line. I don't think the people of this state would support or could support another broad based shutdown. Like safer at home. I I think the genie is out of that bottle. I don't think we could go to the dog groomers and the hairstylists and the small business owners. I don't think we could tell them, you've got to shut down again for another few months. I I don't think that's economically sustainable. I don't think the public would support something like that. Am I right or wrong? 855 616 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. The numbers are increasing. Deaths are not going up dramatically, uh, at least percentage-wise, anywhere close to the numbers. I guess that could change. Um, again, hospitalizations, we're not in danger right now of overwhelming the hospital system. But the number of cases are, in fact, going up. Would you support closing the state down like we did a few months ago? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I, I don't believe that even if you have the change that's going to occur in the Supreme Court at the end of this month, I do not believe the governor should impose or revert to the safer at home statutes i don't think it was i think they were overbroad as i've said earlier i understand it. i'm not being critical at the beginning we we jump into all this because we were trying to figure this out but i think you know the the idea of telling that that dog rumor or telling the the guy that runs the small tailor shop or telling the family-run jewelry store that they had to shut down while walmart could stay open and costco could stay open i i Unless you can document how leaving that that dog groomer, how she contributed to the spread of coronavirus, and and the answer is, of course, she, she didn't. I don't think that there's any political will. Now, maybe the governor wants that because the governor resented the fact that the Supreme Court said that he he didn't have the power to just keep us permanently closed by a safer-at-home statute. But even if the Supreme Court composition changes, I think the governor would be ill-advised to try to, again, revert to safer-at-home. That genie is out of the bottle. You cannot destroy the economy of this state, especially given the fact that we're, we're now learning stuff about COVID-19, and I think we can end up being, you know, smarter. Um, let's see, Jeff, no one ever brings up the fact that where there are people that can't wear a mask, you know, you, you know, people need to wear masks. OK, I, I, unless you can't. Again, indoor mask requirements in hotbeds. Oh, OK, it, you're, the city of Milwaukee is going to pass one. Shorewood has one. Does that mean you need it in Watoma? No, it, it doesn't. But at the same time, if a local community feels an indoor mask requirement is going to make a difference, especially if there's a hot spot, I, I understand why they would do that. Um But the idea of. Again, trying to close businesses, I just don't think it can happen. Jeff, I'm fairly conservative about COVID in a high, in a high risk category, but I don't believe that, uh, shutdowns are needed or prudent. Common sense precautions, um, ongoing, please. This will be with us and we need to figure out how to live our lives with it. Yeah. Especially since we're a ways away. From a vaccine. Jeff, no to shutting down the state. My business lost close to a million dollars during April, May, and June. We have over 250 employees at nine locations um, that are frontline workers and not one has caught COVID. Um, I, we work in, in convenience stores. Um, Jeff, I think you're right. He's chomping the bit to take control again. And um, that could lead to an attempt to shut down the state. Um, Jeff, I do not support a return of statewide restrictions imposed previous by Evers, especially since neither the deaths nor the hospitalizations are spiking. I fear our governor will be misguided as usual and reimposed safer at home regardless. Um, time to visit these salons while we can. Well, I I mean, I, I certainly hope that's not the case. And I will tell you, I today went to the vet, had to take, my, it was just regular wellness checkup that comes up every year for my dog. All right. And this, this, by the way, the vet I go to is not in the city of Milwaukee, but here's what the veterinarian did. they They had imposed requirements. You make the appointment. When you get to the vet, you call the number. Somebody answers. They come out. They don't even allow me to go in with the dog. So somebody comes out, I give her the dog. I said, your promise is going to give me the dog back, right? Said, yep. So the vet is ready. We're going to take the, give me your, what is your cell phone number here? We're going to take the dog in that she's going to do the examination. And then the vet, while she's with the dog, she calls me, you know, after she's done the vet, after the examination, she says, you know, it, it's good. She says, you have a really happy dog. She's doing really well. I said, okay, would you look at this and look at that? She says, no problem there. And then they, they bring the dog back out to me. Um And I, I, Pay for it. I, I pay for the service and I drive off. So I mean, I wasn't allowed to go into the veterinary clinic, and, and that's okay. That that's. I asked the the young lady who came out to get the dog and brought her back. I said, "How's this working?" She says, "Well, you know, it, it's." It's a pain. Hopefully we won't have to do this for that much longer. But again, it keeps everybody safe and keeps the business open. And I thought that was great. But my point is, you don't need to shut them down, Governor. You don't need to have the businesses shut down. You need to trust the businesses to be responsible. And, you know, can you guarantee that I I guess there's not going to be some interaction that leads to, you know, somebody getting COVID? No, you can't. But, you know, they've taken reasonable restrictions. I told the story last week after I cracked my tooth, I had to go to the dentist. I mean, I, I, it, it's the same sort of thing. You pull up. You call the number. It says you're here. Somebody comes out. They ask you questions about whether you've been exposed to anybody with COVID. They take your temperature. They do a pulse ox. They bring you back. And of course, the dentist and his assistant—they're just—they look like they're ready to—I I don't know—go to a hazmat, you know, conference because they're all decked out in those things. But they're able to provide the service. We can trust our businesses to do the responsible thing. Now, again, maybe you want to put some limits if people are rushing out to bars and that especially young people and and the drinking culture that, that goes along in Wisconsin. If that's causing problems, okay, maybe you need to dial that back a little bit. But this idea, again, of statewide shutdowns, I just I don't think so. I just don't think it's. It's encouraging, and I don't think it's necessary at all. Somebody says, it sounds like your strategy is to give up. No, it's not to give up. It's to be smart. You can't just close down the state again. That is the point. Just no question about it. Back with more in just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. I was off on Friday. The Supreme Court, State Supreme Court, came down with a decision which... It was absolutely correct, and I sent out a tweet about this. You can follow me; it's on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. But the Supreme Court was right, and and what you have to do, and I know it is almost impossible in today's day and age, you have to divorce the politics. From the policy decision and the legal decision, for example, that the headline, the the Journal Sentinel can't help themselves. The headline says, in a blow to Governor Tony Evers, state Supreme Court overturns three budget vetoes. Well, I I don't know about a blow to Tony Evers. The decision, it, it doesn't matter who the governor is. Or at least it shouldn't matter. The question is, is it the right decision? And in Wisconsin, the governor has a very, very broad veto power. The the Constitution gives him that power. But it's not unlimited. Typically what happens, the way vetoes work, and remember this goes back to your, your, your days in high school where you learned how a bill becomes law. The legislature passes the law. They're responsible for the legislation. And then the executive branch, in this case it would be the governor, has the right to decide whether to sign the legislation or whether to veto it. And then there's a procedure that goes back to the legislature, and if the legislature can muster enough votes, most of the times it's two-thirds, they can override the governor's veto. All right? Well, in Wisconsin, and it didn't happen, I don't think it happened at all during the Walker years, but that's because... The Republicans controlled the legislature, and Governor Walker was Republican. Now you have a Republican legislature, and you have a Democrat as the governor. So Tony Evers, what he would do is he would essentially use his veto pen to rewrite legislation, not just veto a particular bill, not just veto a, a clause in a bill, but to strike out words in one of, for example, one of the budget things, a spending bill, he would strike out words to completely and totally change what the legislature had done. So if the legislature had had authorized money for something, what he did is he struck out like a sentence and a half to change the meaning and provide money for something else. Okay, now I think that's wrong as a matter of policy. And it doesn't matter to me that Evers did it this time Or that, for example, you have a Republican, you know, Governor, you know, Voss eight years from now and a democratic legislature who passes the law. And then the governor Voss decides to try to use his veto power to essentially reshape legislation to create something that was totally different than what came out of the legislature. That's not at least in my opinion, the way the system is supposed to work. So from a, from a good government perspective and a good policy perspective, this is the right decision. I think it's also the correct legal decision, but I, I urge you When you read these type of things, to try to look beyond politics and and think, does it matter that this limited Evers' ability to, you know, do something that the legislature didn't want him to do? Or, okay, if, if my guy, if somebody I, I, I liked more than Evers was in the governorship, or if my party was in control of the state legislature, would I like it if a governor did this to them? That's the way you have to analyze this. Take the politics out of it and ask, does it make sense? Is it the right thing? And is it a better way for government's railroad to run? And my answer would be uh, again, politics aside, it's definitely the best. And, and the wormer always turns. It, it just always does. Trust me, there will be a time when there's a Democratic-controlled legislature and there's a Republican governor, and the Republican governor is going to be now stopped from doing the same thing that Evers tried to do, and the Democrats are going to be happy about that. Just the way it works. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the NX Wealth Management Studios at historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Before we move on from COVID 19 related topics, I, I have I have a question. For you and I was posing this question. I we we had a We had a very active weekend, and so I was talking to a lot of people, um, and, and it has to do with, with dealing with restaurants. And and Jane, I'm um, Jane. I'm sorry, um,
2: <laughs> Melissa. Mel- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <right. laughs> We're
1: normally I call you normally I call you Elizabeth when uh, I'm forgetting your name. You know, it's it, not forgetting like, it. Just a, ma-
2: uh, a name tag on my forehead. No, 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 not at all, <laughs>
1: Melissa. You you yes. can weigh in on this, but okay. I, I mean I, because this is at least in some areas, this is going to be what the reality is. For example, the city of Milwaukee, I, they, they will pass, I think, right or wrong, they will pass the, this this mandate to say you wear a mask. The only question in my mind is whether common sense reigns and they decide you don't need to put this on, impose this outdoor requirement, which is, I think, unenforceable, uh, impractical, and, and probably not necessary. But it's definitely, I think, going to be inside. Shorewood has an inside requirement. And the, the question is restaurants. Now, I've been talking to, I know a number of people in the hospitality industry who tell me that the, the, their, their businesses really hurt. Um, and, and they're not back yet. Um, I, I know some people who run restaurants that um, pat- are patronized largely by what I will describe as older people, even older than me. And a lot of those folks, because they're being cautious, are reluctant to go back and eat inside. Now, the thing that's saving a lot of restaurants now, number one, it's it's still carry out. And number two, it, it's the places that, can, that have outdoor dining are using outdoor dining. Mm-hmm. And because it's, again, as we were talking about earlier, they're, The the reality is the chances of catching coronavirus, is it impossible? No, but it's much less likely when you are in an outdoor setting. That's just the reality, which is why people tell us the protests didn't lead to a huge increase in in COVID-19. So, but but it's indoors. And for example, some people I know in the hospitality industry are, are saying, hey, indoor dining has been really, really slow to come back with mask requirements and and whether it's the government that imposes these or the restaurants with mask requirements on patrons here's here's kind of how it works you you go let's say you're you're the restaurant doesn't have outdoor dining or you're not going to you're not going to be seated outside it's raining or or whatever and it's going to be more of an issue a month or two from now when the weather starts to turn but here's how it works you you go in you wear your mask when you are going into the restaurant you go up to the the host or hostess stand you check in you're wearing your mask You wear your mask as you walk through the restaurant. You sit down at your table and The server comes the servers wearing their mask You're wearing the mask you interact with the server while you're wearing the mask. They leave the menus, etc then when the server leaves, you can take down your mask, and your dining companion can take down your mask. And then when the server comes back, you got to put your mask back on. Um, and then server takes your order, server leaves. When they bring you your drink, you can, again, take your mask down. Uh, when the server comes back to take your order, you have to put your mask back on. Essentially, any time you are interacting with the server or whatever, you gotta put the mask back up. When you and your dining party are at the table by yourselves, you, you can keep the mask down. That's the, the way this works. And then when your meal is finished, you, you put your mask back on, you signal the server or whatever, they give you your check and, and then you wear your mask on your on the way out. That that's that's essentially how indoor dining works whether it's a mask requirement imposed by the government or whether it's a mask requirement imposed by the business. I, I was describing this to a number of my friends over the weekend, and we, we did a bunch of stuff over the weekend. And my, my question was, would you do this? Now, I mean, the, the business, the, the, the government can force you to do it, and the, the business, of course, has, has every right to do it, but you as the patron have the option to decide, am I going to go there? So, our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. If that's how it's going to work, and that's what you have to do to be served a meal at, at a restaurant inside in a community that either has the requirement or in a restaurant in a community that doesn't have that requirement. But again, the business can always put on that, that, that requirement. If if that is the requirement, are, are you going to go? And the reason I ask this is I talked to a lot of people over the weekend and I was running down that scenario precisely with the idea that we're going to do a topic today. And I will say everybody, everybody I said I talked to said, we're, we're not going to do it. We're just we're just not going to go We're that's that's too much work. And if we're that uncomfortable that we're going to get sick in the setting or whatever, we're, we're just not going to go. But essentially, we're, we're not going to do it. Not that we know we're not going to comply with the order. We're just not going to go to the restaurant. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. All right. While, while Gru is lining up the calls, let mm-hmm. me just ask you, Melissa. If that's the requirement, yeah. are you going?
2: Uh, I would think it would, I definitely wouldn't go as often, and it would have to be a special occasion for me to do all of that, I believe. It would have to be either A, a place that I really, really, really like, um, that I wanna make sure it stays in business, um, or, but but yeah, I mean, it does take the enjoyment a little bit out of it, but this is the new reality that we're living in. I, I don't know, if you want someone else to cook your food for you, that's what you'll have to do. Otherwise, just get takeout.
1: Well, or right, or or go to a restaurant in a community that either doesn't have that rule, Correct. or go to a restaurant which is that probably going to be a little rule. bit
2: outside the city. And another thing you mentioned is that you know, I mean, being outdoors, that's only going to last for so long because as the weather gets chillier in the fall, people aren't going to want to eat outside as well. Well, right, yeah, I mean, that's a good point you bring up. Well, like, no, so
1: right, right, right yeah. now you've got the patio dining mm-hmm. saving a lot of restaurants very popular. So your answer is if they put that requirement in you would not be going anywhere near a, as often
2: as often. Correct.
1: All right. Fair yeah. enough. 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I just, you, you know, my my answer would probably be along the lines of Melissa. I would I say I would never go? Well, I, I don't know, but it would have to be extremely special because I don't want to work that hard, I, I guess. And and look, this again, this isn't, an, this isn't an anti-mask sort of thing. I'm just saying as a practical matter, if, if that's If that's the interaction, okay. make sure you put your mask up when somebody comes over to ask if you want more water. Make sure that you have to have that mask on um, whenever anybody's approaching the table. If I'm that uncomfortable that I I might get sick or alternatively, I'm that concerned that I might be going out when I'm getting somebody else sick, I'm not going to do it. Now, if they said to me all right, here's the deal. Before you can go into the restaurant, we're going to check your temperature and we're going to do that little pulse ox thing. I don't have any problem with that at at all. And I understand that doesn't solve all the things because you could have people that are asymptomatic. I'm just saying as a practical matter, if those are the requirements, I think it is much less likely that I would be dining out because I, I just choose not to put up with the hassle. And I'm not saying that you can't put in that rule I'm just saying that that's fine. Don't necessarily expect to see me out as much. How about you? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Troy and Teresa. Troy, you're on WTMJ.
0: Hi, Jeff.
3: I was actually just telling the screener that I was out at the southern Jersey Shore the last full week of June, and they already had mandatory masks for everywhere in the state. It was statewide, mandatory but even there, we were in a vacation town, uh, so I, we went out to eat. Although you had to wear your mask to go into the host or hostess and sit down, you did not have to remask every time a server came out to you.
1: Okay. So once uh, you once you were once you, you got to the left. table once you got to the table, they, they'd let you go. Did you, did you find that to be unduly restrictive?
3: No, it, you know, once you sat down, you could take it off. The, the servers were always masked. But I thought that was fine. But if every time they came back to see how your food was or take your order, I I would not
0: <laughs>
2: yeah
3: then patronize it for it. It's interesting that in New Jersey, where it's even illegal to pump your own gas that they didn't even have that restriction at that time
1: yeah so. okay no thanks for calling. i mean i i, I guess because this is i mean this is the question as you as you run into the different restaurant rules and, and restaurants are imposing you know different sort of of requirements that are out there and by the way restaurants they get to do this if, if they want i mean a restaurant owner gets to make that decision and then you get to decide whether you're, you're going to go bill in burlington bill you're on wtmj hey jeff thanks
3: for taking my call yes sir um, so, actually, I, I highly, to me, if I have to wear a mask to go out to dinner, and it just kind of ruins the whole experience. It just there's something that makes me reluctant to actually relax and enjoy a nice dinner, even if a server's got a mask on, you know. And I um, two weeks ago, I went out to dinner in Racine County. As soon as you walk in, uh, they had hand sanitizer there. They're wiping down the menu. Some servers had masks on. It's just not appealing to me at all
1: whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, right. right. No, no, I get it. No, thanks for calling. And seeing that's – and that's – the businesses have the right to do it, and you have the right to decide whether you're going to patronize or not. Jeff, related to masking up in restaurants when servers are around, I did it last week without being required. I don't find it to be that hard or cumbersome. Well, that's – and that's fine. There's going to be a certain percentage of people who who don't. But I guess – for me, if I'm going out for for a relaxing meal, I, I, I don't want to be obsessed with pulling the mask back, putting it back on and off. I, and that's 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 just me. And I, I think people will decide that for themselves. Um, Uh, Let's see, Jeff. um, We've had mask requirements around here in Virginia since the end of May. I've dined at restaurants with the mask requirement you you describe. I agree. It was awkward the first time. But since we have found it uh, just fine, and I feel that we are respecting the health of the servers as much as they are trying to keep us safe as patrons. Now, see, I again, I I'm not one of these people that objects to putting on a mask when, you know, you're going into a grocery store or something like that. To me, the dining experience is somewhat different. And I guess if if first of all, I'm not going out if I if I'm running a fever, I feel that I'm, I'm not feeling well. I'm, I'm just not going to go out to begin with. Some people might be different. I guess I would be curious to know, uh, again, whether they can trace any significant spread of covid to the fact that you might have some unmasked diner who then is is giving it to you know some of the other I mean, to to wait staff or or things like that. And my question would be, if you're practicing social distancing, you know, doesn't that that solve the problem? Or, But, again, if these are the rules, it's fine. I'm just saying, for me, it makes me less likely to want to go out. All right, we pick it up right there in just a moment.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Here's a couple of texts. Jeff, absolutely not. Thank God I live in Fond du Lac County where nobody wears masks when you go out and your servers don't have to wear masks. Um, we do not have a huge outbreak either. I would not go out to eat if that was the requirement. Um, Jeff, my wife and I did this Wednesday at a, at a restaurant, pretty much exactly the process you described. It was inconvenient, but I thought it was well worth the wonderful food. I believe this is the new norm, so people have to get used to it. Hmm. Um, let's see, Jeff. Easy question. No way would I do that, Jeff. Uh, let's see. This is called a texture from Random Lake. The food would have to be free and excellent in order for me to go through that. Uh, Jeff, I mean, what are they going to do? Put alarms at every table that alert the table, the serve is, er, server is coming, prepare for incoming? Jeff, I would do that. That's exactly what we did last week, Wednesday, at the Cheesecake Factory. Um, it sounds more cumbersome than it actually is, and we both felt very safe. All right, let's talk to Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're on WTMJ.
3: Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure. You know, I think that the big thing that a lot of people are forgetting is that the mask is not just there to protect you. It's to protect other people. This is a a public safety issue. I'll be wearing my mask everywhere I go uh, nowadays, if it's even remotely close to public. I mean, if I'm walking down the sidewalk with my kids, I'm not going to have it up. But as soon as someone else comes near, the first thing I do is I pull that mask up. Uh, You know, I, I really liken it to something like drunk driving
1: okay well let, let, me on, right let me focus to, on let me focus on the question my question is would you sure. go to a restaurant if that was your requirement that you you essentially had to pull your mask up and down every time the server came over
3: of course I would. Okay. Uh, I, I think that it only make it only makes sense. But mm-hmm. I I really want to equate this because it's a public safety issue. I feel like you're asking the question: Would you go to a bar and get some drinks if you're told that you can't drive yourself home after drinking? Well, now, I don't think
1: answer, that's a fair course, equation. Obviously, yeah.
3: Uh, how, how so? Are are lives not at risk in both equations? Well, I
1: think it's a matter of degree. Do, do I think if I'm healthy and I go and have a meal at a restaurant and I'm not wearing a mask, am I putting lives at risk to the same degree if I go and get myself dead drunk and yes, get behind the are. wheel? No, it's not. Yes, <laughs> of course, are. I'm Mark. If I'm per- Mark, 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 you're being hysterical. You're a healthy person sitting at the restaurant is not going to put anybody's An life at risk, person, Jeff. but An I said otherwise healthy
3: person is putting lives at risk. And it seems like you don't grasp. Well, no, I don't. grasp. see this
1: idea. No. Well, Mark, I tell you, it's you don't grasp. I, I'm, I'm all about balancing stuff. And, yes, I, I understand that there is some asymptomatic transmission. It's one of the reasons why I said, hey, if you want to take my, my temperature if, if I'm going in, that that's absolutely fine. I'm willing to do that. But I'm not willing to go. To, all I'm saying is I think if I end up going into a restaurant and you put in all those requirements, it's going to take all the fun out of it for me. And, and that means that's fine. You could have those rules. I'm just not going to go to the restaurant. That that That's all because I think that that's going to interfere with my enjoyment enough, and I'm not trying to get people sick, and if you think that that's what we need to do, that's fine, but the reality is there's people going into all sorts of restaurants, and they're not getting other people sick, and on the off chance that you might have that person who's asymptomatic, who goes in and does it, it's just it's not enough to interfere with what I, I, again, something that I think is going to significantly impact my enjoyment of the experience. You want to ask me to do that? That, that's, that's fine. And then I'll decide whether I'm going to go. All I'm saying is I'm not going to go if you put that requirement in. And I think a lot of people aren't going to go either. So it, does does it make anything right or wrong? No. You ask. You talk about wearing masks outside. I mean, to to me, and again, I argue this in the first hour of the program. I, I show me the data that demonstrates that if I'm walking down the street and somebody passes me, that if I'm not wearing a mask, there's a significant likelihood short of me sneezing on them, that that brief isolated contact is going to give them COVID-19. And the answer is, there's no data that that suggests that. Now, again, if you want to be hysterical about this, I'm just arguing that there needs to be a balancing that is out there, a balancing between safety and a balancing between common sense. Back with more just a minute. Jeff
0: Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So on Friday, President Trump commuted the 40 month prison sentence of Roger Stone. This this wasn't a pardon, uh, which means that uh, Stone remains a, a convicted felon. But it was a commutation of his forty-month prison sentence. Stone was due to report to prison um, tomorrow, and so as a result of this, he he doesn't have to go. Roger Stone. Uh, if if you ever there's a documentary. I was on Netflix. They don't show it anymore. But it was on. A doc, it was a documentary called he you know, Get Me, Roger Stone." Roger Stone is a political gadfly. Who, who started kind of as a dirty trickster during the Nixon administration and has been kind of on the periphery of Republican politics for, for decades. In, in general, Stone is one of these guys who, again, he's, the description, I mean, he calls himself a, a political performance artist who's, been saying and doing all sorts of outrageous things and they have them on the right and they have them on on the left and, and finally what what happened the way the Wall Street Journal describes it is is he ran into prosecutors who weren't amused um, you know he was the subject of an ongoing investigation he lied to investigators he tried to bully witnesses and he went to trial and he ended up getting getting convicted and he got sentenced to 40 months and it's been this, this cause celeb ever since president trump wades in and commutes the sentence like i say he doesn't pardon him but he commutes the sentence A- as i said you know when, when this first happened um roger stone is not he's not worth one ounce of psychic energy roger stone um in my opinion as a political provocateur, he got what he deserved. I mean, I I, I don't know, was the judge out to get him? Well, yeah, I think the judge was out to get him probably not because necessarily of his politics, but because the guy is a a class A jerk. And if I weren't on the radio, I would use a different word, but we'll just stick with class A, a jerk, um, who has skated for years and years. And finally, he just He went too far, finally. So I have no problem at all with the prosecution of Roger Stone. I have no problem at all with the conviction of Roger Stone. And honestly, I I think a 40-month prison sentence was appropriate for him. And I think President Trump was wrong, capital W, wrong to pardon Roger Stone. Now, now. But before we get too caught up, and I it was so funny because I was looking at like the New York Times and the Washington Post over the weekend, and they they're, they're just full of outrage about this because they they loathe President Trump, and I understand why they loathe President Trump. But you would have thought this was the first case where you had an abuse of, of the pardon power, and as, as I sent out in a tweet, I mean there there have been all sorts of slimy pardons and or commutations that that have been issued just in in the last couple decades. I mean, Bill Bill Clinton, for example, decided to issue a pardon to a guy named Mark Rich, and I, I have a link to the story about that. You might have forgotten about this, but in 2001, as, as as Clinton was out the door, he pardoned Mark Mark Rich, who was a fugitive financier. Rich's wife or ex-wife at the time, big Democrat contributor, he was he fled fled to avoid prosecution there were pending charges against him he was hiding out i believe in europe and clinton clinton issued a pardon to this guy who was a fugitive who also you know through contacts happened to be big donors to um the democratic party and to hillary clinton and to things alike. I that that one stunk to high heaven clinton um Pardon Susan McDougal. She was uh, she was the one who went to jail for contempt rather than tell prosecutors what she knew about about Whitewater. Okay, th- this was a political crony, a, a friend of his. So I-, I bring that up only to say, for people who are outraged about the Roger Stone pardon, it's not like it's the first time that a president has gone off the rails and used the pardon power to benefit people who were close to him, who did, um, I don't know, who stood up for them, who took like a contempt beef rather than than testify, who donated a whole bunch of money or whose family donated a whole bunch of money or his ex-wife donated a whole bunch of money and then went on the lamb. I, I just point out that there have been other sort of slimy pardons, which is why I have had problems with pardon power to begin with and, and commutations. For me, the way this should be used, and you can mark the tape on this, is the way that, for example, Tony Evers has used it in Wisconsin. He, it, if you want to identify somebody who, t- to me, pardons are, aren't for people who haven't served sentences It's not to set yourself up as a super arbitrator of whether a jury got it right or whether a court got it right or whether an appeals court got it right. To me, pardons are for situations like somebody does something stupid when they're 22 years old. They they serve their sentence, they pay their price, they've led a good life after that, and they're fifty years old and they, they want to be able to own a gun so they can go hunting. Or or whatever. Those are the situations that you come in and, and you use pardons. The idea of just saying, Well, I don't like the fact that, that somebody I don't like the fact that somebody got prosecuted and convicted, so I'm going to, to go in and wade in. I, I think that's an abuse of of what the pardon power should be all about. Like I say, Evers, to his credit, you know, he's issued pardons, but by and large, they've been to that situation I'm talking about. You know, somebody gets does something bad, stupid, out of character whatever when they're young and then 25 years later they 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 want it wiped off their record you know or at least they they want to you know have their civil rights restored Th- that to me is where the pardon power is Roger Stone wasn't worth it in my opinion the president was wrong to do what he did and it it, it candidly it it makes him look politically craven it looks it creates just awful Awful optics, because it, it makes it seem like and it might have well been the case that here you have President Trump who is rewarding somebody who um, might have had dirt on him, who decided not to cooperate with the government. And so here you don't cooperate with the government. Don't worry, I'm going to take care of you. I don't know if that's what really happened or not, but it's certainly it, it's what the optics are. And that's why I think it was wrong for the president to do it. He's not the first that did it. He's probably not going to be the last. But nevertheless, I thought it was wrong. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Any sympathy for Roger Stone? And again, this is a guy, I said this during the trial, for for all the people that were stepping up to defend him, I, I think he got exactly what he deserved in the prosecution. And I think it's disappointing that the president decided to weigh in at this time. All right, we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, I Look, I the, the president has has the power to issue commutations, president has the power to issue pardons. I I think President Trump has used this in ways that have rewarded political cronies of his. And and Roger Stone who is, and what was the word I used last time, Roger Stone, who's a class A jerk and has been for decades. I thought he got what he deserved. I think the optics are awful. Trump isn't the first one to do this, but I think it's disappointing that he decided that Roger Stone was worthy of having his sentence commuted. Let's start with Gianni Mm. and Montello. Good afternoon.
0: Oh, hey, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, interesting topic, interesting developments uh, last Friday. Hey, listen, um, I, I think um, Trump supporters would be disappointed um, in Donald if he didn't uh, pardon Roger. Um, look, there there is uh, a few more months left until we vote again. Roger has some work to do to get Donald Trump reelected. Um, I mean, you know, it, Boy, it's, you, you, uh, I
1: just you know, you, you, I'm just curious from a political really, perspective, do you, do, do you think Roger Stone, they're going to let him anywhere near the Trump campaign? Do you think? Really? Uh- well probably not but it'll be done in 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 a uh probably in a back room or someplace. i mean uh, roger will have
0: um, will have his his recommendations i mean they're both con men they're both montblancs grifters and charlatans and i, I think uh, you you do a disservice to the trump campaign not you personally but um, I, I mean you got you got to pardon him or
1: you got to you got to um, you know uh give him a uh, reputation yeah. well i they they um, so. i mean it, i it, again it, I, I just I, I understand this all kind of plays into the president's playbook that the Department of Justice was out to get him and you had these rogue prosecutions and, and things like that. I just, um, see, I, I don't think so. I, I think one of the things that that I think we we should be able to agree on regardless of our politics, is is we want to support the, the rule of law. And I, I guess if this was a situation where, I don't know, there was demonstrable evidence that that somebody had been wrongfully convicted. And I guess maybe I would amend what I said earlier about wh- where I think, where I think pardons are are useful. I mean, pardons to me are are essentially where you're not trying to set yourself up as, as again, gee, I, I don't think, I think the jury got it wrong. I think the courts got it wrong. I guess if it was a situation where there was just demonstrable evidence that, you know, somebody was in jail for something that they didn't do. All right. Well, well maybe that would be the case, but, but that's, I mean that's the unicorn sort of situation that's there. Roger Stone did what he was accused of doing, and, and Roger Stone brought it on hi- himself. And I think, regardless of whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or what you think about Donald Trump, I think most people, I, I think most people would probably agree with me that you know Roger Roger Stone isn't again. What was the phrase I was using? Worth the psychic energy. Um, Jeff, your caller is absolutely wrong. I am a huge. Republican. But I definitely do not agree with this. Um, Let's see. Um, Let's see. And that's a matter of fact, I'm getting like three or four texts to that extent. I just typically what happens, what makes this one so unique is that typically what happens is presidents wait until they're on their way out. uh, But before they do it, I mean, Bill Clinton his pardons were, as he's almost, almost literally going out the door, because then, okay, there's nothing you you can do. It's not actionable. He he can pardon Susan McDougal. He can pardon, you know, Mark Rich, and, and he doesn't have to own the politics of this. You know, Donald Trump, he, he decided to do it a couple months before the election. I, I guess maybe because, to your point, Jayani, he figures that it's, it's not going to make any difference that that his that this isn't a reason why some people who support him are now going to go and vote for Joe Biden. And he might be right about the politics of this. But, you know, the the bottom line of it is it, it it's just it's fundamentally, I, I I think, wrong. So if you want to give Trump credit, I guess you give him credit for doing it at a time where he, he might have to own it and might have to be held accountable for it, as opposed to, again, when, when he's heading out the door, whether that's I don't know, eight or nine months from now, or whether it's four years in eight or nine months from now. So maybe you give him credit. One of the things that was the driving force was, again, Stone was supposed to turn himself in uh, to to prison on Tuesday. So by issuing the commutation, he he doesn't have to go to prison. Um, Candidly, I think a few months behind bars might have been exactly what, what Roger Stone Deserved and, and what he needed. Like I say, Republican operative, Democrat operative. You you watch this guy and the way he's operated over the years, and you just it you just he he makes you feel dirty. He he just absolutely does. And there's people on the left that are like that too. Roger Stone he's just he's had this amazing degree of longevity that he's been able to be again a gadfly in in politics you know since the Nixon years um which which I guess is a testimony to his longevity but not much else like I say I think the president was wrong I think Governors and presidents are wrong when they use the pardon power in this fashion. Will it come back to haunt the president? I I don't know about that. I'm not sure it makes much difference one way or the other, but it doesn't make it right. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. See, we can reason together. Uh, Journal Sentinel has a story The Democrat Attorney General of the state, Josh Call, he's doing an interview where he says that he does he's sympathetic with the Black Lives Matter protests, but does not agree with defunding the police. Now, see, that that is the common sense sort of approach that you would expect from from law enforcement, that. You, know, you can be sympathetic with issues trying to push for racial justice, but that the idea of cutting police budgets by 10 or 20 or entirely. And by the way, some of the people who argue when folks say defund the police, it doesn't mean defund the police. No, you're not right. There, there are people out there who say defund the police means exactly that. Let's do away with the cops. Other people recognizing that that's just not so say, well, no, what we really mean is let's only cut the budgets 10 percent i would argue that at a time where you have violent crime that is going through the roof what um, we are we are on a pace in milwaukee we are on a pace right now to have as many homicides as we had in 1991 you got to go back to 1991 to have as many homicides if this rate continues and you know what else happened in 1991 Jeffrey Dahmer, that included the Jeffrey Dahmer homicides, and we're on, we are on a pace for that. And you talk about, oh, yeah, let's, let's cut the police budgets by 10 and 20 percent. And to the credit of the Attorney General, I think he recognizes that, that is, that's crazy. If you want to talk about more funding for social justice programs or midnight basketball or social workers or things like that, that's fine. But you, you come up with that money not by taking it from the police budget, which is nuts. The other thing that the attorney general says that I, I agree with um, is that, you know, he thinks that all law enforcement agencies should have body cameras. And, and I I agree. And, and here's here's why. I think using body cameras the vast majority of times, I think that's going to choose that will show you that the police behaved in a proper fashion. I, I will. Will there be occasions where it demonstrates that police behavior was off the rails? Yeah, but my guess is, in my opinion, eight out of ten times, nine out of ten times, having the body camera when there is a dispute as to you know what what actually happened during the officer's interaction with the suspect or with people, I, my guess is that eight out of ten times, nine out of ten times, that body camera is going to support. That what the police officer did was appropriate. Not always, but that's why I think it. I think it benefits everybody to have that. The problem isn't just the expense in, in outfitting, you know, police officers with them. It's also that under the law, you know, if you use body cameras, the footage has to be kept for, well, at least four months, and in many cases, a lot longer. And there, there's there's a huge cost that that's out there. The, the cost is from storing and maintaining the video footage, um, and, and it can get pretty pricey. So I mean, that's one of the devils that's in the details. But as far as I'm concerned, body cameras make sense. I, I think. It's good for the community to see those interactions. I think the vast majority of time it will vindicate police officers who are accused of wrongdoing. You just got to figure out where the money is going to come from. But I think it is a worthwhile thing, and I think we, we should move for that. Maybe the big question is, why does it cost so much to store all this stuff? Shouldn't the state be able to figure out an effective and cheap way to do that? Just asking. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show.
1: And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You know, we talk a lot about our concerns for coronavirus, and, 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 and I understand why that, that leads the news. Um, at You know, at, at the same time, I, I do always feel it's important to give at least a little bit of perspective, and it kind of leads into something that happened. It, it, for example, in in the state of Wisconsin, there have been rounding up approximately 40,000 reported cases of coronavirus. That is out of a population of 5.8 million. So that translates into like 0.0068%. So, I mean, it, even with all the news, your statistically, your chance of getting COVID-19 is, is slim. It just is, and especially if you you know practice social distancing and you know do the things you're supposed to do. If you take out Milwaukee County, and that's one of the, the staggering things, it Milwaukee County out of the out of the forty thousand reported cases, about fourteen thousand come from Milwaukee County. I mean, Milwaukee County is is over you know over a third, and I'm I'm, I'm giving you the ballpark idea. But if you if you don't live in Milwaukee County. And you look at that 5.8 million people, you, you know, your chances are like 0.0044. I mean, again, statistically, it's not great. Now, that's not saying that anybody wants to get it. And of course, people want to be careful. But you, you look at all the attention that, that we're spending on this and all the obsession. And you, you kind of, I, I do think it's fair to say, okay, well, let's, you know, what, what is the real risk here? And then, of course, Especially the question becomes, do you want to target that risk to make sure that we for the people that are vulnerable, for the people that are most likely to have the bad results, is that where we want to put most of our attention? The people who are older, the people who have the compromised immune systems or the hypertension or the obesity, the uncontrolled diabetes, all those sort of things. That's, you know, that's the the emphasis as opposed to necessarily looking at the raw numbers, which is one of the reasons why when I analyze this, I, I spend more time looking at, you know, what's going on with the death numbers and, and deaths, thankfully, are not, are not going up with the rate of, of infections in Wisconsin or the hospitalizations. And the hospitalizations aren't going up, you know, with the number of, um, again, infections, which tells me that the people who are getting it um, are, are younger, we're seeing that statistically, and they're less likely to have the bad outcomes, which isn't to say that anybody wants to get it. But again, you, you do, I think it's important to look at hospitalizations, look at, at deaths, and look at the overall numbers and have at least a little bit of, of perspective. I was thinking about this because we, we've spent over the last several months all this time and energy talking about COVID nineteen, and I understand because it's a pandemic and you 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 want to get it under control to the extent you can. But we we don't talk anymore about other other diseases. And I, I was just I, I was reminded of this when I saw the news today that Kelly Preston, who um, was a, an actress in her own right. Um, but she was also married to John Travolta, and everybody knows John Travolta. She passed away uh, this morning at the age of 57 after a two-year battle with breast cancer. And I, I don't believe they had made it public that that she was fighting with it. She's had a number of roles. Her most memorable role might be. The, the movie Jerry Maguire with with Tom Cruise, who played the sports agent who became disillusioned, she played his his girlfriend, and as she was only in like the first fifteen or twenty minutes of the movie, but she was extremely memorable for a couple scenes, including ones that I can't play on the radio because they're they're very adult. If you if you watch the uncut version of Jerry Maguire, you say it, but that was that was Kelly Preston. But you know, unlike a lot of marriages between Hollywood actors and actresses, um, they're, they're survived. They they were uh you know they she and and john Travolta were married in 1991 so they were together you know going on you know going on 30 years and uh you 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 have again we we talk a lot about again covid and the pandemic and i i understand that but at the same time you know you, you'd hate to see this and our concern about the, the virus and the spread of the virus, which, which again is serious, but still, if you look at the, the numbers, the statistics are what the statistics are. Um, and, and you just, I hope that when we look back on this, when we come through it, what we're going to, we're not going to see the fact that, that people for, because of, of COVID concerns, people, Made decisions not to go see their doctors or not to get treated for health situations, which you know might otherwise ha- have been more treatable had they not delayed. And I know, you know, we were talking earlier about this this everyday health feature we do with freighter. and that's you know one of the things that we're talking about with a cancer doctor. I mean, if you got cancer, you know, you you need to be going in treatments, and, and you know they're going to figure out ways to make that work. You know, there there's some stuff yeah which you can delay there's other stuff though which which you have to have you have to go in and you have to get to taken care of because it 's not going to go away and it's it 's not going to get better unless you start doing the the treatments and I guess i i just I, I was thinking about this we 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 've stopped talking about people who di- die from heart disease and we've stopped talking about you know people who who die with cancer, but there are folks that are getting diagnosed with cancer. In alarming large numbers, and it's an awful disease on, on a daily basis. And again, while we concern ourselves with coronavirus, while we concern ourselves with the numbers, we we also. I don't think can lose sight of the fact that there's other people out there who have health needs and those people should not be delaying those health needs during this pandemic, because in many cases, there's stuff you can put off. And in other cases, there's stuff that you absolutely cannot put off. So if. If you've got concerns, you need to be calling your doctor. You need to be making arrangements to go in and get seen to make sure that something that might have been a small problem, if you had taken care of it in the beginning, doesn't blossom into a huge problem, you know, later on. Because just because all the headlines are coronavirus doesn't mean that cancer or heart disease or these other ailments doesn't mean that they are going away. When we come back, let's talk some football. This is Jeff Wagner.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Hey, baseball. Coming back soon, the Brewers almost back. But first, we've got one more look at a Brewers Classic. Join us this Wednesday at 6 o'clock for the Brewers and the Reds from 2018 in a game that featured 25 runs and the first cycle of Christian Yelich's blossoming career. We're one week closer to live Brewers Baseball. Brewers Classic is sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating, Boucher Automotive, Previa, Badger Mutual, Chevrolet, and West Bend Insurance. All right. We are trying to figure out how to get kids back to school. I think that needs to be a priority. And there's some people who say, well, it's just not going to happen. I hope that's not, I hope that's not the case. We are also trying to figure out a way to get it back to a sense of normalcy with pro sports and in particular with college sports. Now, let's put this in perspective. Most college sports do not pay for themselves. They are subsidized in large part by the revenue sports. And what are the two big revenue sports in college? College basketball, and in particular, college football. It is a huge, huge cash cow. You've got boosters that donate to the athletic programs. You have 60 and 70 and 80 and 90 and 100,000 people that show up on Saturdays in at the stadiums to cheer on their teams. It is big, big business. And it's square in the middle of the coronavirus battle. Um, The NBA is going to try to resume in a bubble. So what they're going to do is they're going to have their, their teams all in Orlando and they're going to hope everybody stays in their hotels and doesn't go out and check out the Orlando strip clubs. I'm told they have strip clubs in Orlando. And they're going to hope that they don't do that and that they don't go to parties and things like that. We'll, we'll see if they're able to work out that that out. Major League Baseball, the same thing. The problem with Major League Baseball is the players are going to be traveling from city to city. Now, again, it's not a cross-country traveling, but they're going to be traveling from city to city, and the hope is that the players are going to be smart, that they're going to stay together, that they're not going to be going out and going into large gatherings, or they're not going to be going out to bars and things like that, that they're not going to expose themselves. But but even with, with baseball and basketball, you're talking about relatively limited numbers of people. College football, you've got a large number of athletes. What The, the typical roster in the neighborhood of like 80 plus kids, plus the coaches, plus the trainers, plus the managers. I mean, you've got a large group of people that that are there. And football is a contact sport, even in the practices, you're going to have people interacting with each other. Plus these are college students who are, you know, going to be doing college student type of things, which is going out and socializing. So the Big 10 conference announced Late last week, that they were canceling all non-conference games. So these games that they would play, um, where you know you'd, you'd essentially pay a bunch of money to the little sisters of the poor to come out and play against a game against Wisconsin at Camp Randall Stadium, the, the, those games they're not going to have them. The Big Ten right now wants to try to just have a conference schedule. The Pac-12, the West Coast. They followed suit. They said, yeah, we're going to cancel all the non-conference games. We're going to have a – we're just going to try to play the conference games. The Ivy League – now, the Ivy League isn't as big about football, but they said, look, we're not even going to try to have a football season this fall. We're, we're shutting down all sports until at least January 1st. Ohio State, Ohio State started practicing um, limited workouts. They've already had to shut those workouts down among players because they've had an outbreak of COVID-19. The University of Maryland, which is in the Big Ten for football purposes, um, nine Maryland athletes and staff members tested positive for coronavirus during an on-campus screening last week, and so football workouts have been suspended. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I hope I'm wrong But I just don't see any way that you're going to pull off a college football season this fall. There's so many people involved. You're talking largely young people, which are going to be difficult to control. You're talking about enormous numbers of people. They're in a campus situation in college towns. They're going to be interacting closely with the players on the teams, with the managers, and you know that they're going to be going out and exposed to other people. It seems to me inevitable that you're going to continue to have people that are coming down with COVID-19. Now, the good news is, again, these are younger, healthier people, so... Even if they get it, the chances are it's not going to have long-lasting, really bad consequences. But at the same time, you can't have it going through the, the team. And once a handful of people get it, you're going to have to suspend things, like, again, like Maryland's doing, like Ohio State's doing. Is there any way they're going to be able to play college football this fall? 855-616-1620. That's the accident mortgage talk and text line, at least with the pros You're going to have different protocols that are going to be in place. There's because of the money that's involved and the athletes are getting, there's more of an incentive, I think, maybe to kind of toe the line and stay out of endangered situations. College kids, I just, I don't see how it's going to happen. Is it going to work? Can it work? Will it work? 855-616-1620. We discuss next. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855 616 1620, which is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. Look, I don't mean to be a Debbie Downer on this. Look, I, I hope the baseball season is able to be completed. I hope the Bucks are able to go on and win the NBA, conference, uh, NBA finals. I, I just, I, I'm skeptical of that on the pro level. But I look at these colleges and I, I just. I don't see how it's it's going to happen. And, you know, the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have now said we're going to scrap the non-conference schedule, which delays it, I guess, a little bit. But inevitably, you, you've got college kids, young young men, um, you know, in a college setting. They're all together, but you know that they're going to be going out. They're going to be exposed to outside sources. And, and once somebody gets it, they're going to come back. They're in close quarters. You know, a bunch of other people have gotten it. I mean, Ohio State has tried to just even do workouts. They couldn't do it. Maryland, again, a team in the Big Ten now. It's, I mean, I always think of Maryland as being ACC, but they're in the Big Ten. And now, you know, Maryland, you know, they, they weren't even able to get their workouts started because so many people ended up testing positive for COVID-19. Jeff, I don't think there will be any college or high school sports for the entire next school year. Hope I'm wrong, but I'm afraid that's the case. If we can't figure out how to get, let's even talk about colleges. If we can't figure out a way to get college kids back into classrooms on campus, how in the world are we going to be able to figure out how to get, you know, a 100-plus college athletes, football players, you know, in into, you know, a game setting on a daily, on a weekly basis? Jeff, I completely agree with you. I'm an optimist, but there's no way there's going to be college football this season. Jeff, I think not only are college sports dead, I think high school sports are dead as well. Jeff, neither the pros or colleges will compete this season. It's all a a pipe dream, um, you know. And again, I, I I hope we're wrong about that. I think from the p- perspective of professional sports, there, there's a better chance. And I, I don't think there's a great chance. I've always already said I, I think will baseball start? Yeah, I've already put the my my opinion. And again, I hope I'm wrong. I'm not wishing for this. I, I think, as I've said before, I think the odds of baseball finishing probably about thirty percent basketball I'm going to give it a greater situation- I'm going to say maybe 80% cuz basketball's in that controlled situation it's it's in the bubble the only question is keeping the players from not going outside the bubble major league baseball you know with the travel and all I I just don't see how it happens but at least with major league baseball you're talking about a, a smaller number of players and their professionals college football I I just I just don't think it's going to happen cuz again what what happens when you you have 10 members of the team test positive, but the other people have all been exposed. How do you go out and and play a game? You're going to have these different quarantines. I just... First, got to figure out how to get students back in the classrooms, and then it all flows from that. But I think in many respects you're putting the cart before the horse when you say, let's figure out how to get the football games played and worry about the other stuff later. Now, I want to figure out how to get the kids, the elementary school kids, the secondary school kids, the college kids. I want to figure out how to get them back in the classroom safely, and then everything else works itself out.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So Tony's reporting that just a couple of minutes ago, the Milwaukee Common Council unanimously, unanimously voted to impose the mask requirement, which requires masks inside in all places open to the public, and also outside, anywhere you are in Milwaukee, again, any public place, unless you can guarantee that you can stay uh, two yards, six feet away from somebody else, which for all intents and purposes means everybody outside wears masks, including those of you who are working outside in the heat and things like that. Um, We'll we'll see how this gets enforced and we'll see how this all ends up playing out, um, particularly with, does this Especially the outdoor aspect. Does it significantly reduce the uh, incidence of COVID-19? And more importantly, do people follow it? And what does it do for people who have the decision as to, you know, whether they, they're going to go into Milwaukee to shop or do other things? Will this drive them to other places? So we'll, we'll see. But the, in one of the aldermen who in committee, Mark Borkowski, who voted no to this because he thought the outdoor requirement was a, uh, was, was an unreasonable imposition. He apparently switched his vote and voted in favor of this, I think recognizing that, well, it was going to pass because this is it. I'm also, I just raised this question about Milwaukee. Whereas I was saying a moment ago, you have, we, the city of Milwaukee is on a pace to to top the number of homicides, you got to go back to 1991 for for homicides and and shootings up dramatically as well. So I, I guess now the question's going to be: All right, where where kind of our our priorities if we can't get people to stop shooting each other, just saying, and stealing cars and driving recklessly. How are we going to get them to wear masks when they're outside or inside? Uh, now, of course, some of the people that are shooting each other, they're probably already wearing masks, so it's not an issue. I just, it'll be interesting to see how this is all enforced and what, if any, difference it ends up making. At the same time, I can see that Milwaukee is, is a hot spot. The city of Milwaukee has been, for whatever reason, it's been a hot spot during this outbreak. About a third of the known COVID cases in the state come from Milwaukee County and uh, an overwhelming percentage of those in Milwaukee County come from the city of Milwaukee. So I appreciate that the legislators recognizing that they have a particular problem are trying to, to deal with it. And they're taking in my opinion, an extreme measure by imposing the outside requirement as well. Um, well. We'll see what their degree of compliance is and whether it makes any difference. Big picture. All right. For years, the owner of the Washington Redskins has maintained his name is Daniel Snyder, and he's a very wealthy guy who's also, well, for example, I have several friends who grew up in the Washington area, live in the Washington area, and you know what? What was the phrase that I was using to talk about Roger Stone a while back? A class A jerk. Uh, Most of the people I know who are Redskins fans consider Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Redskins, to be a class A jerk as well. And he had maintained for years and years that there was no way that they were going to change the name of the Washington Redskins. I mean, it it is, you know, one of the NFL's legacy franchises. He said, look, we're we're not going to give in to political correctness. We're not going to do it. Well, because the climate has changed dramatically. With regard to social justice issues particularly over the last couple months and in part because a number of sponsors including the sponsor of the Redskins stadium or the stadium where the Washington the, the team formed soon to be formally known as the Washington Redskins play FedEx field that, because they said look unless you change the name we're, we're not going to support this we're going to pull out of our sponsorship agreement as so often happens once it becomes financially undesirable to maintain the principal well the principal kind of goes away so anyhow daniel Snyder saying we're we're not going to be the redskins they haven't announced what they're going to be but they are no longer going to be the redskins our number 855-616-1620 that is the acenet mortgage talk and text line at the end of the day will anybody really care I mean, by by that I, I mean, all right. From the perspective, if you're a Washington sports fan, you're still going to be a team fan of the Washington football team, right? I mean, it, it might not sit right with you if you think this is caving into political correctness. So, but but nevertheless, you're still going to be a fan. I still. I mean, I I still – I go back to when when Marquette got rid of the nickname Warriors. I'm one of those people that, to me, they're always going to be the Warriors. But it doesn't mean – I still go to the games. I'm still a fan. So from the perspective of the fans, yes, some of them might have a little bit of heartburn over this, but is it going to make a difference? No. From the perspective of the the Native American community – Is this going to change things in any material fashion? Are the lives of people on on one reservation going to be better now that you don't have the nickname the Redskins? I, I, I question that. I mean I, I don't know. Is this something is it all symbolic? And I guess there's a value to symbolism. Is this going to make any difference at all? Will there be any backlash to the move? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the ACUNET Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My my general sense is is no. I, I mean I, I guess I know people people say things. Last week we were talking about going to games at Lambeau Field, and a number of people called in and said that they they didn't want to go because they they were unhappy with, again, the ongoing anthem, the dispute about the national anthem. All right, I I understand people say that, but does that mean that they're not going to watch the Packers games? I doubt it. Is this going to make any difference? Will there be a backlash? My sense is no. We discuss in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Redskins, vowed that the team's name would not change. That all changed uh, pretty quickly in the last week or two. And, and it changed not, I think, because his opinion changed, but because there was an uproar among sponsors, including the 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 entity FedEx that names the stadium. And they said, hey, we're going to pull our support, meaning we're going to pull our dollars unless you change. and once once it became economically unfeasible, well, whatever principle Snyder was was hanging on to about not changing the name, that went out the window. Funny how that works. Okay, is there going to be a backlash among the fans? 855-616-1620, that's the Iconet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. M- my guess is no. My guess is there's going to be a lot of fans that believe the team caved into political pressure and political correctness run amok. Uh, and and there'll probably be some heartburn over that, but are they going to stop supporting the team because now they're going to be called the, I don't know, the Washington team with no name um, as opposed to, you know, the Redskins? My guess is no. Let's talk to uh, Lydia in Milwaukee. Lydia, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. What do you think?
3: So my thoughts that I feel as, like, the Redskins are, it's a derogatory term. And I don't think fans are going to stop supporting it. It's like, if you really like a certain player, you're going to keep supporting the team. I don't think because of a single name that they'll change their views on the team, if that makes sense.
1: No, I think it, right, It. it I mean, it, it does. Now, There. there might be... There, there might be people who disagree with you when you say that, you know, that it's it's intended in a derogatory fashion or derogatory name, but but reasonable people can disagree on that. But I, I'm with you on the basic principle. If, if you grew up as a Washington football team fan, you're still going to be a Washington football team fan, whatever they call the darn team.
3: Right, exactly. And I think that We might feel as if it's not a derogatory term, but as a person, if you were Native American, if you are Native American, you might take offense to that. So maybe by getting rid of it, it'll make more – is it easy for everyone, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, no, it does. Thanks for calling. And I don't know, and it also – on on the one hand and I'm I'm the guy that rails about the cancel culture and I'm all the time and I'm the guy that, that talks about political correctness run amok and the perpetually offended and the politically correct um from a purely economic standpoint at, as well one of the things it now does is it opens up all sorts of new marketing opportunities i mean let look let, let's face it i've got i'm a packers fan i've got i've got all sorts of packers gear i I think I'm at a point where if I come home with a new Packers T-shirt, sweatshirt, something else, my, my wife is going to give me that look that, that all you women learn from your, your mothers that I, I married a moron look. I, I don't need any more Green Bay Packers sweatshirts. I don't need any more jerseys. I, I've got all I need. I've, I've accumulated them over the years, which isn't to say that I might not want the, the newest thing, but I really I, I don't need that. Well, now... By changing the, the logo, by changing the team name, you you open up this opportunity that you're going to have all these, these fans that are now going to be out there saying, okay, well, we want to go to the football games when fans are finally allowed to go back to football games. Lord knows when that's going to be, but you presume it will be at some point in time. So now they're in a situation where you, you can now, you can do the marketing. You can come out with what the new nickname is, you can come out with what the new logo is, and, you know, you. you you can sell these stuff there. Somebody asked uh, Jeff, here's a text, is the term Chicago Blackhawk named derogatory?" You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because the the, the Blackhawks are in a sort of dif- are in a different situation. There's some people who who say that but at the same time, I mean, that that's the name of a tribe itself. And it's it, that's a much more difficult situation. I don't know that there's much pressure for the Blackhawks to change their name. Just like Florida State, um, they're, they're the Seminoles, but they do that with the blessing of the Seminole uh, tribe. Jeff, did I stop being a Packers fan over the national anthem issue? No. Do I still choose Packer games over other fun and worthwhile activities um, that are going on at the same time? No. Hmm. So that's that's the again for the people that think that they're caving into um, political correctness. Jeff, I don't think they should have changed it. Um, I um, I don't know. You're, you're going to have issues. The Cleveland Indians are now looking at that issue as well, trying to figure out, you know, how. How that's going to play out? Hey, before we we turn the show over to John and Melissa and Greg, I, I did I wanted to mention just one or two other things that have been in the news since I was back on. Um, a story in the New York Times over the weekend about how President Trump's aides, presumably with the the blessing of the president, are are trying to undercut Anthony Fauci, who for you know months and months was you know the nation considered to be and is the nation's top infectious disease expert and you know they're they're talking about how you know Dr. Fauci who's been you know the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for for decades they were you know talking about how he's been wrong on all these different things and how you know he, he sh- his view shouldn't be you know taken as as gospel i guess I look at all this, and one of my criticisms of the president over the years has been picking picking fights. In many cases, fights that I, I think are unnecessary. See, here's here's the thing: when it comes to coronavirus, at least in my opinion, you you have to have a balancing. There's the medical side of it. There, there's the the health experts who their field is health i mean for for many of these experts you know what what they would do is if they had their way they would have us all kind of lock ourselves in in protective plastic cocoons and not go anywhere and not do anything and stay separated to make sure that you know we we didn't get sick and we didn't get anybody else sick and and i respect that cuz they're coming at it from the perspective of of public health then there's the other side which is Economic reality, economic life, economic health, which is important as well. You can't shut down a a country and unemploy tens of millions of people and destroy jobs because then when the health crisis passes, there's nothing for people to come back to. You can't expect people, for example, to delay. I don't know, going in and getting cancer treatment, like we were talking about earlier, because there's a fear that they might get a, a virus, a virus that most people, you know, are, are going to recover from. So you have to have th- this balancing. If you want to criticize Anthony Fauci, I think it would be maybe fair to say from time to time he, and it's understandable because of his perspective, has put the health side of the equation in a way greater balance than the economic side of of the equation. Of course, President Trump, who was planning to run for re-election based on the strength of the economy, you know, Trump wants the whole health thing to go away and and he wants to get us back and have the economy fully functioning. And to the extent that Dr. Fauci is out there trying to put the brakes on things because of health concerns, you you understand where this tension is. Rather than trying to discredit him, rather than trying to to say that, well, he was wrong early on. And, and the truth of the matter is health experts have been wrong about a lot of stuff early on. That That's we we we, in my opinion, as I've said before, with, with the massive shutdowns at the beginning, I, I don't think that. I I think that we didn't think that through, you know, but now that we know how coronavirus spreads, now that we know the concerns, now that we know who are particularly the most vulnerable, we should be able to target our response to try to to deal with those type of things. Does it mean that you have to be as concerned about outdoor activities as indoor activities? Well, the answer is no, we we, we don't. Does that mean that you're not concerned about outdoor activities? Well, of course not. You want to you want to. Again, but have that balancing and figure out where your priorities are. But the idea of trying to attack and discredit Fauci to me seems to be kind of a fool's errand. Because if you want to look at one person that I think is very well respected and very trusted, uh, you know, don't in that that world, it it's. It's not necessarily going to be Joe Biden and it's not necessarily going to be Donald Trump. But I I think, you know, Dr. Fauci is is one of these people who is generally well respected by people all across the board as somebody who's trying to call things as he sees them. And if you want to marginalize him by saying, okay, well, he's not paying enough attention to the economic factors on the other side of the equation, I I think that's fair. and, And you kind of make that case. Um, but at the same time, you have to take what he's saying seriously and, you know, weigh that with all the other factors and then come up with decisions and strategies. But trying to undermine Fauci, to me, again, it's a fool's errand. It makes no sense. It's picking a battle that you probably can't win. And yet some of the president's aides are doing exactly that. It just doesn't seem to me there's any profit in it. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.